Muslim Chat presents Heroes of Islam, a 30-part series on the lives of some of the greatest Muslims to walk this earth. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulihi kareem Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een Ba'd Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh InshaAllah Today we'll be moving on to the second part of our series On the heroes of Islam Through all the times From the beginning of Islam From the time of revelation To this contemporary day Today inshaAllah We'll be covering the life of Imam Ahmad Rahimahullah And I've already, in the past, I've already prepared like a small circle on Imam Ahmad And the reason why Imam Ahmad is so, is quite dear to me in terms of, in terms of his personality Because he was everything that a scholar should be In so many aspects, in the way he stood up for the deen, in the way he was very, very humble He rejected the rulers as well And overall he was very, very brave when he came to standing up for the haqq and for the deen. So inshallah, when we go through his life, it's important that we try and, as we did with uh, Umm Amara, we also try and take some lessons from his life and try and implement them now. And so inshallah, we'll start. So, Imam Ahmed Rahimahullah uh, was born in Baghdad about 164 years after Hijrah. Shortly after he was born, his father passed away very, very shortly. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept him. And what's actually interesting is that a lot of the scholars of Islam, a lot of the major figures and heroes of Islam, they were all raised by single mothers. And that's actually, even uh, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa he was raised by a single mother for a short time before uh, his mother passed away and became an orphan. Allah. And... His mother instilled in him the love for the deen, for the love for learning about the religion. In terms of, uh, and she sent him to study with different people. And he, uh, he started learning fiqh with Qadi Abu Yusuf. Uh, and then before then, he started moving on to learning hadith. Then at the age of 16, and a lot of us would probably be, you know, just studying or... Uh, but uh, a lot of people will be partying at the age of 16 or, you know, clubbing and that sort of thing. Imam Ahmadullah was traveling around the Khilafah, the Muslim world, at the age of 16 just to search for knowledge, just to search for hadith and so on. And during this time, he also had a very, very strong friendship with the third Imam of the fourth Imams. That was Imam, uh, Imam Shafi'i, Rahimahullah. And Imam Shafi'i was... Someone who uh, who also really, uh, loved Imam Ahmad rahimahullah, and he even say to Imam Ahmad, "Tell us if you know of authentic hadith, so that we may act upon it." This friendship between the two Imams is also reflected in the relationship between the Shafi'i and the Hanbali madhabs. When it came to Imam Ahmad rahimahullah, he also had five main principles that he would use when he was making uh, uh, decisions. Assuming fatawa and so on, it, he would. Uh, the first principle was to base it from, uh, or, uh, he would judge it based upon divine text from the Quran and the Sunnah, and there would be verdicts issued by the companions. That was the second. And the third one was uh, he would, in the case where the Sahaba differed on an opinion, he would prefer the opinion of the Quran and the uh, Quran. And in all of that was uh, applicable, he, he would. Uh, Resort to Mursal Hadith, where there's a link missing, but 
it is there's still a strong is uh is a weak hadith is regarded hasan and only after uh, having exhausted the quran and the sunnah and then these most hadith and the opinions of the sahaba then he would take on his own ishtihad his own qiyas and with with only due to necessity and with utmost care and and we also we can't just talk about how his education so we also talk about his character him as a person he was one of the most humble people Allah, uh, with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the people and he uh, for example you know uh, people he used to say I have been cursed with fame Allah, let us look at the scholars of today they are you know fully out there with followers and so on look at us today I was uh, look at our scholars. They're going around uh, asking for hundreds, hundred pounds just to do a lecture here and somewhere. Subhanallah, Imam Ahmad rahimahullah. He was so humbled. He would reject uh, gifts from the rulers, uh, and you know he would and just remove, uh, tell people, don't speak about me in this way. Don't speak about me. Allah, he saw such a problem. But shun wealth. He would wear. You know, he wouldn't go around dressed up in fancy robes and. And she clothes and so on. He would go out, go around, just, just like normal people. He was a person who didn't want to stand out from the crowd. He decided that Islam is there, then we follow it fully. He had also Imam Ahmad's morals. He, he, uh, so he obviously, he as a Muslim, as a someone who had a lot of knowledge of the Deen, he had amazing morals. He would, he would defend uh, the, he would help the needy, you know, feed the poor and sick and so on. And overall, he was someone that the people used to love. Honestly, the fact that people used to love him actually will also come into play later on in his life during the difficult times. So, just to briefly go on, what is Imam Ahmed most known for? It's his stand against the Mu'tazila. And who are the Mu'tazila? Were a group uh, who basically they came uh, from, they believed in the idea of kalam, which was to either. Uh, it was basically as a response to Greek philosophers, one, and as part of that, they derived uh, this idea that the Quran has to be created. It's not the word of Allah. It's just it's something that is uh, that has just come down. It's not actually of Allah. And they said that if anyone says that you're saying the word, this is the word of Allah, you're saying Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is subject to change. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is subject to change. That means uh, he has some. He has to have a creator. That and that was then they say he, that's kufr. So yes, she used to make takfir. The Mu'tazir would make takfir upon this principle. Allah. And the problem is at this time is that the Abbasid Khalifa, Al-Ma'moon, someone who you really used to like uh, these kinds of ideas of the Greek philosophers and so on. And so he actually adopted he, uh, the Mu'tazir's ideas and he began to implement it. He, uh, put, into, he put in places, for example, uh, Abi Dawood, he put him into high positions in the Mu'tazir Inquisition. And during, at one point, this became so, like, uh, so dramatic that at one point in during the Mihna, the Al-Ma'moon ordered for the words La ilaha illallah, Rabbul Qur'an al-Makhluq inscribed on the mosques in all in Baghdad. He would say that, the meaning that there is no God but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala but the Lord of the Creator Qur'an. Allah, of course, the problem is that not only was this wrong but it was also being implemented in a very harsh way under uh, Abi Yusuf and so on. And you know, subhanAllah, all the scholars of Baghdad from the Jew, from the Qadis, from the Jewish, and all the scholars as well, ulama, were all tested. And all of them 
uh, eventually acknowledged the doctrine of the creator of Quran of the Mu'tazila. They were for, either forced or they were persuaded into joining that idea. The exception of two people, two people, and just Ahmad bin Hanbal, rahimahullah, and his uh, another one, Muhammad ibn Nuh. It's greatly pained and angered Muhammad rahimahullah because some of these people, uh, he used to, well, he was his, one of his great friends, subhanAllah, and they didn't actually, and he defeated them or all turn away. He didn't forgive some of them, subhanAllah. He, he even refused to narrate from some of them and he boycotted them, their acknowledgement. When Imam Muhammad rahimahullah and then Muhammad bin Nuh were also put to a test of the, the Quran, of the Mu'tazi test, he refused to acknowledge the Quran is created. And because of that, they were dispatched from Baghdad in irons to be dealt with by Mu'moon himself. Now, at this time, you know, Imam Muhammad rahimahullah, he's, uh, he goes through a certain period. Uh, during this journey, really, he doesn't want, as someone who was very, very humble, he didn't want to go and visit the ruler. So he actually said that, Imam Muhammad rahimahullah, he said that, I don't want Allah, don't let me meet Al-Ma'mun. And halfway there, they got news that Al-Ma'mun had passed away already. He just suddenly passed away. And for that, they were both sent back, Imam Ahmad and Muhammad ibn Nuh. During that return journey, however, Muhammad ibn Nuh passed away. And the Mu'tazili guards refused to bury him. And Allah, they refused to bury him for because uh, he refused to acknowledge the doctrine. So Imam Ahmed, rahimahullah, is all alone in the desert. He's, has, he has no one else with, uh, with him who will support him. With he goes and he washes his body. He prays over him and he buries him all alone. Allah, he's completely alone now in the world. He's the, uh, in the Muslim world who is going to actually stand against the Mu'tazila because all the scholars have decided to have uh, acknowledged the doctrine. He, imprained, uh, he remained imprisoned in Baghdad until Al-Mu'tasim in power. And... Unlike Al-Ma'mun, Al-Ma'tasim actually didn't have that much knowledge. So, the only issue why he actually continued the Mu'tazili Inquisition was because Al-Ma'mun had requested it in his will that you have to continue this, uh, the Mu'tazila. So, his rule was probably the most brutal towards the Ahlul Sunnah and Ahlul Hadith. And Imam Ahlul Rahimahullah, he was whipped, was flogged in public after, uh, Know, debating Mu'tazili scholars for hours upon end. He actually fell unconscious, subhanAllah. And there's an incident during his time in prison, which is really worth noting, and even for today, is that one of the prison guards one of the, uh, gave to him and they asked him, Abu Abdullah, you know the hadith that's narrated regarding the oppressors and those who aid them, is that authentic? Is it uh, sahih? He said, yes. He said, so this prison guard, you know, he asked, Am I an aid of the oppressors? He says, no, you're not an aid of the oppressors. Aid of the oppressors are those that comb your hair, wash your clothes, they repair your meals, and then buy and sell from you. As for you, you're not, the, uh, you're not from the aids of the oppressors. You're the oppressor yourself. SubhanAllah, because they, uh, you know, Allah, the, a lot of people don't realize that when they, uh, you know, help out uh, oppressors like this, even if they just, they can, you can't just say you're doing your job. Even, uh, for example, in the Nuremberg trials, excuse that a lot of the Nazi officers gave in the uh, trials were, uh, oh, we just did what we were told. The problem is you can't just say, do what you're told. You have to stand up for the sunnah, even if it means 
dying or being tortured as Imam Ahmad did. And that is a problem with a lot of the scholars today. They fear that. They fear that, you know, uh, that something will be, there will be harm, there will, something will be taken away from them. But they don't realize that all of that they're fearing, that's already Allah's. All they have is their own soul, which should be sacrificed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that there is nothing better than being a shaheed in his path and being, and because one of the best jihad is a word of truth against a tyrant ruler. And during this time when he was debating the Mu'tazila, they would actually they would do, uh, have a thing where they actually put more chains on him. Debate, they would send Mu'tazili scholars as Abi Dawood to go to his cell. They would debate with him and every time he would refute them, but then they would add another chain. They would make the chains heavier and heavier and heavier until it caused amazing uh, hard discomfort. You know, I would call, uh, for some of these, what's actually interesting is that over 70 scholars at the time issued uh, death verdicts. They uh, said that Imam Ahmad should be killed because he opposed uh, the Mu'tazila. The majority, so that's also a reminder that the majority opinion is not always correct. Sometimes the majority opinion can go against the Quran and Sunnah and it's actually ending the tyrants. So as uh, Ibn Qayyim, he was the one of the latest students of Imam Ahmad. He said regarding the evil scholars, you are, you'll be very popular, but they're calling towards uh, hellfire. They said, ulama abwab They mean that the scholars, they say on the doors of paradise, meaning that they call to uh, paradise uh, uh, with the people, with their words, but then their actions, they call to the fire. Meaning that every time that their words say come, uh, the actions say, oh, don't listen to those words because they, we're doing, we're just, we're being hypocrites. And so, they and so in uh, what he said that is they are seemingly guides to people. Look like guys, they look like, you know, we're calling to da'wah, we're calling to Islam, we're bringing peace to the Muslims. In reality, they are the highway robbers. They rob the paths of good and the, the paths of paradise from the people because they misguide them and lead them towards haram. SubhanAllah. And if the scholars of the Salaf today, if they saw our scholars, SubhanAllah, what would they have say? What would they say to about these scholars who incline to tyrants, they beautify their actions, made further murders from the Muslim, the Muhaddin, making their honor by issuing fatawa after fatawa to make the thrones firm of the tyrants and safeguard the kingdoms, or labeling everyone who opposes them as a khariji or rebel or mubtari or so on. Allah, these people, uh, and then there'll be others who say, you know, we de- we they deny the Quran and Sunnah. They make the statement that says we don't need the khilafah, we need to integrate into Western society. Do not, so as Ibn al-Qayyim stated, we do not listen to these misguided scholars if they follow the rulers and they follow uh, the Western ideologies and other ideologies that go over the Quran and the Sunnah and then they twist the Quran and Sunnah to fit into that ideology. We do not follow them and the non-Muslims over Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and Islam and his deen as Imam Muhammad rahimahullah rightfully did so. And later on, Imam rahimahullah is still in prison for several years. Yeah? And then eventually, Al-Mu'tasim uh, releases Imam Ahmed. He, 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 there's nothing else he can do. He releases him, but he sends him away. And after he dies, Al-Wathiq uh, begins to fear the growing opposition. Uh, 
is inspired by Imam Ahmad's firm and powerful stance that he takes against the Mu'tazila uh, regime. Although he was alone, he was influential, he was loved by the people because he was humble. SubhanAllah. And Wathiq actually ordered that Imam Ahmad be exiled from Baghdad so people don't start uh, rising against him. So after Al Wathiq passed away, Brother Al Mutawakkil took charge of the Khilafah. And unlike his predecessors, Al-Mutawakkil actually had respect for Ahl-Sunnah. He had respect for the Quran and Sunnah, and he decided to put that into the Inquisition the Mu'tazila had uh, implemented. Promptly after assuming the position of Khalifa, he sent orders throughout the Khilafah to put an immediate end to all discussions regarding the Mu'tazila and the Quran. He, re- he released all the scholars who had opposed uh, the Mu'tazila. He dismissed the Mu'tazila judges, and he deported Abu Dawood along with his family away from Khilafah because, he, because of all the harm he had caused. And he, he, uh, he even ordered that for the Mu'tazili judges who are responsible for this inquisition, they would be cursed from the minbars by name. Allah. And how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala turned this around completely. Imam is no longer in his prison cell. He's no longer being flogged, publicly humiliated for his stance for Quran and Sunnah for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But now he is one of the top people in the Khilafah. He's the most respected. In spite of this, however, as time all Mutawakkil did, even, even then Imam Allah continued his humbleness. He, re- he rejected the, for this, uh, the rejected for the uh, rulers to come to his house, subhanAllah, because he still feared the hadith of Muhammad Sallallahu where he said that a person uh, does not go to get closer to a ruler, then he gets further from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in spite of this, and then around 77, he was struck with severe illness and he was severe fever. And he became very, very weak. And even in this illness, he was urged his son to uh, make him stand up for salah. And uh, he was sometimes praying, sitting and lying on his side. And there was an incident when Abdullah, the son of Imam Ahmad, he narrated that while Imam Ahmad was in deathbed, he get drifting in and out of consciousness. And he was kept gesturing his hands, you know, pointing his hands saying, La, 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 no, no, no. And when Imam Ahmad was asked about it, he said, the shaitan was standing near me. He was trying his hardest to mislead me, saying, come on, Ahmad, come on, come with me. Imam Ahmad was saying, no, la, no, Allah. And a lot of incidents occurred during his time, uh, uh, during his last few days, when this, even the, scholar, uh, the rulers tried to send doctors and so on, and he refused to let them enter because he feared the, scholar, uh, the rulers. And on Friday, the 12th of Rabi' al-Awwal, 240 years after Hijrah, Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, he breathes his last. He becomes, dies, subhanAllah. And he quickly spreads so far and wide in the city and uh, flood the streets. They hear Imam Ahmad, rahimahullah, has passed away to attend his janazah. After his janazah, uh, after his janazah is prepared, his sons first pray over him and 200 members of the ruling family. And streets, well, what they don't know is the streets around Baghdad are teeming with people, all gathering to pray janazah over the imam, subhanAllah, all the people of Baghdad. And imam, rahimahullah, in fact, then they said, let's bring it out, let's, they brought out his janazah his, uh, to the desert, because there are so many people, so people continued to pray over him. Before and after his janazah, his grave, people kept coming and coming and coming just to pray over the imam, subhanAllah. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves someone, he will put that love into uh, the people's hearts as well. That even after they die, you can see that they, they are being loved by the people. People about the ilm they've been given. 
how the stars they made for the deen, how they defended Ahlul Sunnah, how they defended the Quran, how they defended Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And scholar uh, noted that when he attended the janazah of Imam Ahmad, he wanted to pray over him at his grave, but the, but the crowds were so huge. Imagine didn't actually reach the grave until after a week, subhanAllah. Even and if you compare it with the uh, and the scholars of Islamic history, they said that it's the day when the Mu'tazila were brought to a complete end. Some of the Mu'tazila uh, on the on the day, the multitudes were uh, claiming that this day is for Ahlul Sunnah and, and the Hanbaliya, the Jahmiya, not the Mu'tazila or the Ash'ariya. This is the day for Ahlul Sunnah and, and the Hanbalis. Allah and. Allah's death was also a symbol. He had proven the ineffectiveness of the Khalifa's role in defining Islam and unquestionably acknowledged that it was the scholars or other Khulafat who were the true inheritors of the prophets. They were the real people who had taken that knowledge from Muhammad and they implemented it. Allah. And honestly, if we were to learn so many lessons from his life, his, for example, his steadfastness, his patience throughout 20 years, he was to a lone scholar. All he did is raise his voice with just a simple no. He didn't have any other power. He didn't fight. He didn't, you know, pick up weapons and, you know, start attacking the rulers. All he did is raise his voice with a simple no. He was tortured. He was flogged. One, but subhanAllah, he continued. All he had, all he had was iman and yaqeen. He didn't fear anything was going to happen to him short term or, uh, and so on. Let, all he had was the foresight. He had foresight know that all what he's saying is going to have a wider impact. It's eventually it, Allah, Allah's victory will come and eventually those words are going to have an impact and uh, Islam will return. And this is the same kind of idea we need to have today. We don't, we don't fear the short-term consequences. We think about what's coming up ahead. We think about the next generations. Yeah, We're going to think about when we say this, when we defend the deen, then that, will, that stance will be also taken up by our generation who come after when they face even more difficulties than us. SubhanAllah. This is why the scholars one of the time noted that if it had not been for Imam Ahmed's stance, we would have all been suffered from that shame that society tried by fire could not bring a single person of value. SubhanAllah. Another scholar also noted regarding his stance for a deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he has supported Islam with Abu Bakr عنه, during the time of the Ridda Wars and when people apostated. Then he supported it again with Imam Ahmad ibn al-Hanbal during the Mu'tazili Mihna. SubhanAllah. He took a stance for the belief of Islam which was widely accepted by not only people but all the religious scholars but he was the only one who actually protected it and established it. And that's the difference. You can believe in something but the fact, but actually standing up for it and sacrificing so much of your, of your life for it it's, that's true. That's uh, true scholarship. It's true iman and faith in Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and the fact you'll stand, you'll uh, stand for it. You'll declare it in the face of opposition. You, the jihad in the face of a tyrant. You say that the take word of truth, and you endure torture for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. It's a truly an inspiration for us to stand for our principles through water and fire in the face of every opponent until Allah Subhanahu wa Taala's word is prominent upon this earth. Another. Another thing as well about Imam Ahmad that he remained firm in his stance. He never, he actually never uh, let it become a personal matter. Pardon those who abused him and beat him, flogged him. Subhanallah. He didn't hold them responsible or harbor resentment against them. The, I exonerate those who beat me and tortured me. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, He can punish whom He wills and He through whom He pleases. Uh, it's not my, it's not my job. My job was to stand for Islam. Subhanallah. I'm not going to have any personal issues. Allah. 
And what's also important to know here is that this is not, this is something, he's a person that we should think about today as well. Since we are already under a kind of inquisition, we're under the inquisition of LGBT, the mihna of, uh, you know, same-sex marriage, gender equality, feminism, liberalism, and so on, is already a fitna, yeah? And Allah, he's standing up alone against people who are torturing him. We're not even being tortured here. We're being opposed with, with words, with media. We can't even stand up for the haqq, subhanAllah. Allah, we may, and here's something, you know, we can have to look back at the Quran as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَمْ حَسِبْتُمْ أَن تَدْخُلُ الْجَنَّةِ وَلَمَّا يَأْتِكُمْ مَثَلُ الَّذِينَ خَلَوْا مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ مَسَّتْهُمُ الْبَأْسَاءُ وَالضَّرَّاءُ وَزُلْزِلُوا حَتَّى يَقُولَ الرَّسُولُ وَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا مَعْهُ مَتَى نَصْرُ اللَّهِ أَلَّا إِنَّ نَصْرَ اللَّهِ قَرِيبٌ Meaning that you think that you're going to enter paradise and nothing has come to you. What came to, you, what came to people before you? مَسَّتْهُمُ الْبَأْسَاءُ وَالضَّرَّاءُ they were touched by poverty, by hardship, and they were shaken. They were shaken until even them and the Prophet ﷺ, this and the, those who believed in him said, when is, when is Allah's help coming? SubhanAllah. They were, even those people with such a high iman, they were shaken. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded. He answers that, Allah inna nasrallahi qareeb. Our struggle is nothing compared to the Sahaba. It's nothing compared to Imam Ahmad. It's nothing compared to Ibn Taymiyyah, for example. It's nothing compared to Imam Shamil. Our struggle today is nothing. All we need to do is speak out and against the, uh, against what is wrong. Yet we are so weak and we drop out as soon as any kind of hardship touches us. If someone says something wrong about us, we, we just fall down. We have to, we persist even if we get slandered, even if we get, you know, beaten. We persist. We learn from those who became, came before. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always there with us, even now in this lockdown. We're thinking that, you know, is there ever going to be an end to our, uh, our current situation when we're all locked away? SubhanAllah, this is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us opportunity now. Given us opportunity that, look, I've taken all the other distractions away from you. Now focus on me. Focus on Islam. You have, you, all you have now is your time to start building yourself up. You can go out, out there and stand up for the deen. Allah, inshallah, will end there. وصلى الله وسلم على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحابه أجمعين وجعلنا من من مطاع الله ورسوله وأولئك مع الذين أنعم الله عليهم من النبيين والصديقين والشهداء والصادقين حسن أولئك رفيقا السلام عليكم ورحمة الله Find out more and join now at www.muslim.chat.